Welcome back to our study through the epistles as we look at the truth and reason of God's word. If you'll take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 5, we'll begin in verse 22 as we look at the topic of the bride of Christ. The analogy of marriage is used often in regard to the teachings about the church. And of course, as is said toward the end of the chapter, he says these things may seem like a mystery, but... uh, I speak concerning Christ and the church. We'll get to that in just a little while as we look at verse 32. But beginning in verse 22, what I find ironic about a lesson like this is that I believe the writer, Paul, the apostle in particular, um, kind of just had the understanding that people understood what marriage was, the responsibilities in marriage, and what it meant to commit uh, and submit to one another. And I don't think it's so much a lesson in regard to what wives and husbands are supposed to do, though we do learn lessons from that. But he's talking about the analogy of the church, that if you understand a marital relationship and the necessity of faithfulness and submission in that relationship, then you can understand the relationship we have with Jesus Christ as his bride, which is the church. This won't be the only time you read in the Bible about the analogy of marriage. But what you find there is an assumption that the writer makes that I'm going to tell you about the church because of what you understand about marriage. Unfortunately, in our world today, it's like starting from scratch. Uh, You find many that don't have the respect toward God's unity of marriage. And this is one of the ironies when you look through the Bible is that marriage was the very first institution, if you think about it, that God created between uh, a covenant between a man and a woman and, of course, our relationship with God. And he set the guidelines for those things from the very beginning. As Jesus, uh, in his many teachings, especially the Sermon on the Mount, often reminded the people that this is what I say to you. He wasn't always bringing them a new gospel when he says, you have heard it said, this, that, and the other, but now I say to you. Um, And he gives principles about marriage, about faithfulness, especially uh, being at the forefront of relationship between a man and a woman. And uh, he says, basically, he's bringing back to order what God had intended since the beginning of time. And we see that in Adam and Eve and subsequently his expectations of all men, uh, no matter whether they were of the Israelite people, uh, whether they were Christians in the New Testament or whether they were just, you know, common everyday people of the world, even among the sinner, the heathen, the, the atheist even. They are all expected to abide by the same marital laws that God laid down in Scripture. And so we're reminded of these things in the Bible. And of course, getting back to our passage from Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 22, he gives some basic principles that not only did they understand in society, but he's pointing out that this is a godly way of living. He's pointing out an an order of authority, if you will, uh, which many in our generation today seem to have a very hard time following. The scripture begins by saying, wives, submit to your own husbands. Well, okay, that's where people shut down the Bible right there. People don't like to talk about submission anymore. Uh, They like to talk about equality and how, you know, uh, I'm not going to answer to any man. In fact, it's gotten to the point that many women today say, I don't even need a man kind of thing. 
Um, and of course, I'm not going to get into the liberalism of today's society. I'd rather talk about the positive aspects of what God's Word has to say in regard to a, a godly marriage, uh, what we might call a, a Christian marriage. And of course, he says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Let's not forget the most important part of these verses where he says, as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. You know, this isn't putting women down in any way. This isn't taking away any responsibility or um, uh, status that they might have, uh, you know, in their lives. Uh, there are many successful women. There are many women that, uh, you know, give good advice that their children should obey them and follow their will. Uh, that's taught all through the Bible. Let's not let a passage like this try to redefine the proper order of authority uh, where the man is to be the head of the house. It's not just a random submission to a man, but it is having a godly household with someone who leads them in the Lord. And when you lead somebody in the Lord, you need to follow that man. And you need to do and, and keep his command, if you will, as a child would to a father, uh, in order to bring about a hope for their future. This is all about love. Uh, this isn't about cracking a whip. This isn't about my way or the highway, and I'm the boss, and I'm going to tell you what to do. Uh, there are plenty of places we can go in the Bible to talk about a loving relationship, submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. I'm not downgrading submission uh, from a wife to a husband by any means, but we have to define it as God defines it. And what we find in this passage is that since we see in our society, people don't have that respect in the proper order in the home, they don't have it in respect to God. I mean, you see it for what it is. You see what this generation has uh, created. Let's look at a couple of other verses when we think about uh, Jesus' role as being the head of the body. And if we can't understand that in a marriage, then somehow or another we need to uh, follow the plan of Christ in a proper marriage. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Okay, that's just a little explanation that the church, uh, we all have responsibilities as individual members, just like in the home. Even children have responsibilities as well. And 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 2 says, For I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband, to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. That's the same fear that anyone has in a marriage when they're trying to hold their marriage together. I mean, you're not going to share your spouse with somebody else in this world. You don't want some other man or woman looking at your spouse. Uh, you don't want them looking at somebody else in the world. We have a jealousy like the Lord. And uh, we need to have a confidence in our relationship uh, that we trust one another, that we can go out and conduct our business in the world and, and not worry about somebody trying to influence us to uh, be unfaithful to our loved one. It happens in the world every day. I know it. It happens less among Christians. And you might want to argue with me about those particular statistics, but I believe wholeheartedly it's true. Christians make mistakes. I'm not denying that. But you have to understand that wanting to serve God comes with the expectations of being faithful unto mankind, especially toward your home, especially toward your children, and especially, especially toward your spouse. Without that proper relationship, you can't be faithful to God. 
it just, you know, simple, simply put, if you're not faithful to your spouse, you're not being faithful to God, and your soul is in jeopardy. But getting back to 2 Corinthians 11, as Paul the Apostle once again writes to the Corinthian brethren, he says, you know, I betrothed you to one husband. In other words, I, I kind of did this wedding ceremony and, uh, you know, signed the, signed the legal document or whatever it might be. It's an analogy, once again. But he's saying, you only have one husband. You be faithful to him. Jesus the Lord is that husband, since we are the bride, which is the church. And then verse 24, back in our reading from Ephesians chapter 5, says, Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. This is where I think Paul, again, going, not trying to be opposite of what I said a moment ago, but reminding them once again, okay, we understand the principle of submitting to, in the home, we, by, in like manner, we submit to the Lord. And now he's saying, as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands and everything. Let's back up just a little bit, though, and remind us of some of that responsibility. And, and what comes with it, the blessings that come with it. Go back to verse 22 for just a second. Remember where it says, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church? Read the last part of that with me. And he is the savior of the body. The end of verse 23, he is the savior of the body. What did Jesus do for his bride? Well, he went to the cross for his bride. He sought to redeem us, to put us back in a proper relationship with God our Father in heaven. That's a role and responsibility that the husband has toward the wife, toward the family, to be uh, to, and to live as a sacrifice that they may provide. The Bible says, uh, Paul says to Timothy, you know, uh, one who doesn't provide for his own household is worse than an unbeliever. There are many passages that teach us that we need to be good workers and to take care of and, and that's how we show love for our family as well, is that we want the best for them. This is what Christ has done for us, and it's what a husband needs to do for his wife. In verse 25, he get, again, gets right back to some very basic principles of these things. Husbands love your wives. Husbands love your wives. Now, again, we have the comparison. He says, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. So where we read in verse 23, just you know, draw a little line down to verse 25 there. and Make that connection. You see where Christ gave himself for the church. Used uh, the, the pronoun, you know, might say, as a her, the bride of Jesus Christ. And so, again, there's a further blessing. A further blessing in verse 26. It doesn't end there. Again, don't get stuck on one verse. Look at all that the Lord has done for us. Verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. This is what Christ has done for us. Think about your life before Christ. You know, many say, uh, I, I go to this, this shop and get, you know, nutrition shakes every once in a while. And they have, uh, you know, t-shirts on the wall and posters that give you little motivational messages to get out there and get healthy for the day. And one of the uh, pictures that I always see is it says, I'm broken. <laughs> and what, what that intends to do is to remind us that we need to work towards something better, that we can, we can be fixed, in, in other words. A lot of us come from a background where we feel 
uh, maybe downtrodden or in desperation where we have seen, you know, and the mistakes that we've made in our lives, at some point we realized we need Jesus Christ. We need salvation. We, we, need, to, uh, uh, we need to make a big change in our lives. Uh, this is what the Lord has done for us. Going back to what he says in verses 26 through 27, we are sanctified and cleansed. I'm often reminded of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, that talk about the really the, the awful sins that many of those brethren were involved in. And he says, such were some of you. And they were a people that were doing things at one time in their lives that says, because you do these things, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. But then he says, but you are washed, you are justified, you are sanctified. Maybe not in that order. Um, but what we find there in that passage is that we can be saved through Jesus Christ, only through Jesus Christ, through his name and no other. He sanctifies us and cleanses us. It's not because we're all that great. you know. I know we have a movement in the world today that talks about how we you know, can't be saved by works and things like that. The only part I would agree in regard to that is what Ephesians 2 in verse 10, which we studied several months back, uh, teaches us is that we're not saved by our own works. We're saved by the works of God. Uh, we are created as uh, his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we may walk in them. That's Ephesians 2 and verse 10. So we do the works of God, and what does that do? That puts us in this situation where we are betrothed to one husband, where we have Christ who has sanctified and cleansed us, and we are washed and we are cleansed. Uh, baptism does that and washes away our sins. Acts twenty two sixteen, Acts two thirty eight, and of course it says that He might present her to Himself a glorious church. Um, you know, that's the beautiful thing about relationships is we're always helping each other. We're, we're helping each other change and grow and to be better, better people, you might say. Um, it's so hard to change somebody. You know, if you go into a relationship with somebody and your first goal is to change them, that's often not the, the best approach. <laughs> but uh, at the same time, you know, we want to save everyone we come in contact with. We don't want anybody to, to perish, but that all... Uh, would live a, a good life in the Lord, come to him, do his will, uh, to see these blessings of the Lord manifest themselves in a proper relationship with him. It's not just about being a good person. There are a lot of people in the world today that says, well, I'm a good person. And because of that, they think they automatically deserve a home in heaven with God. But the problem is, is they're not in Jesus Christ. Everything that we've studied about Ephesians is about being in Christ. We'll see that again when we study Colossians at some point in the future. Um, but what we are in Christ is saved. We are put into a right spiritual relationship with God, our Father, and uh, we are presented as a glorious church, as it says at the end of verse 27, holy and without blemish. And I know a lot of people get hung up on the idea they can't be perfect and things like that. Well, alone, you can't be. But with Christ, you can be everything. You can have everything. You can be blessed beyond measure. Let's look at another passage and cross-reference a little bit from Revelation 19, uh, verses 7 through 9. The scripture says, Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. 
And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. So again, the book of Revelation, a book that's filled with uh, figurative language and analogy. We have another one here in regard to marriage itself. But the principles are true. These are the true words of God. And he says, This fine linen are the righteous deeds of the saints. Yeah. There are things that Christ has done, but there are things that I need to do as well. I need to clothe myself in righteousness. The Bible also gives that as a common analogy in the way that we uh, present ourselves before the Lord in modest apparel. But he's talking about a sober mind as well, a good mind, a humble mind, and coming before the Lord. And so these are just some of the principles that we live by, but the blessings are insurmountable. We don't become good people because of all the great things we do. We become good because God makes us that way through his son, Jesus Christ. Look at verse 28. He goes on to give a little bit more understanding to what this loving relationship is. And what you're going to find in these passages is that there's more responsibilities placed on the husband than there are on the wife, you might say. (laughs) But verse 28 says, So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves himself, or excuse me, he who loves his wife loves himself. Uh, No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. You might have met some people in life who just don't seem to like themselves very much. They become downtrodden, they become um, angry and depressed, whatever it might be in life. And I don't know the reasons for all those things. Sometimes it's mental illness, sometimes it's just... Um, you know, not knowing what's what's next. Um, there are a lot of people that are sad. Uh, but the fact is, they still want to live. Um, you know, they still want to provide. They still want to, um, you know, be able to take care. Maybe they have families. They want to take care of their families. Whatever the reasons are, they're still trying to nourish and cherish. No matter how down somebody might get on themselves in this life, we really don't hate ourselves. Um and people need to be brought back to reality when it comes to the fact that they they need to be desperate to live. They need to have a purpose to live. But here's the difference. Am I living for myself or am I living for others? You know, this is the analogy that the Lord once again gives us through Paul here when he says, think about how you would treat yourself. Uh, you don't, you know, you don't want to suffer pain. Um, you know, when, when you know there's a hot stove, you're not going to touch it. <laughs> A hot fire, you don't go near it and, you know, allow yourself to be burned. Um, there are a lot of people that take a lot of unnecessary chances in life. But most people with a sound mind do everything they can to preserve their lives. When they get sick, they want to get better. Uh, they take the medicines necessary in order to get better. Whatever it might be, uh, we're always trying to preserve ourselves. That's why we eat every single day. Our bodies has a natural mechanism to let us know that it's time uh, for a meal. Anyway, those examples are just given because we need to have as much uh, uh, concern and desire to take care of others as much as we would ourselves. And what the Bible teaches us in other places is that we must put others first, um, esteem others better than ourselves. Um, Paul says this a lot in some of his letters. He says it to the Philippians. and, And one of the things about all that is that in a, in a loving relationship between a man and woman, do all things for your spouse. Um, 
you know, because you will receive benefit in return. It's like when we think about worship to God, ask yourself this question. Why do I go to church, as we often call it? Um, the church comes and we gather and we worship. We sing praises to God. We, we share in the message of God's word. We're being educated about God's will every time we meet and come together. We give of our means. And, of course, we remember the Lord's death through the partaking of the Lord's Supper. These are some of the primary functions of coming together on a, on a first day of the week, as the Bible's instructed us. We sing together. And that should bring joy you know, to our lives, teaching us at the same time as well as praise to God, of course. But I say all that to say this, why are you there? Are you there to praise God and give honor and glory to his name? Or are you there for yourself? Now, don't get me wrong, we all benefit from coming together to worship God. And so, yeah, we want to get something out of it, but we're there for God. We're there for worship. We're there to praise his name, not to praise ourselves. And that's one thing that we must be very conscious of in a marital relationship is that if you're just in this for yourself, why'd you get married to begin with? You need to look at giving toward your spouse the love and their happiness so that you may receive it in return. Therefore, you do benefit. You do have happiness in a marriage because you've learned to put others ahead of yourself. Let's look at verse 30. For we are members of his body, of his flesh and of his bones, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This shows the close-knit relationship uh, that a marriage has in, in, in like manner we have with the Lord as well. He's talking about a union here. And, of course, in the Old Testament, and Christ repeats this as well, is this idea that a man leaves his father and mother, he leaves the home he grew up in and he goes off to begin his own home. And he will have children and he will uh, raise them in the Lord. And you, you pray that the generations will continue uh, in respect to that. But he kind of um, points out the fact that that's all of us. That's our responsibility as members of the body of Jesus Christ. We are to become one with the Lord. And then he goes on in verse 32, just to kind of sum it up there, where he says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. I, just to understand that a little bit better, I, I want to also read the uh, ESV, English Standard, Version, uh, English Standard Version. I like the way that it, it reads about this mystery. It says, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. And I like that terminology there, this mystery is profound. It's, uh, it's not something to be taken lightly, but it's very important that we understand our relationship with God and, and Christ through looking at the relationships that we hold dear in this life, or at least we should. And if we hold those things dear, then we can understand just a little bit better as to how to treat our Lord and Savior. Let's consider a couple of other verses. In Ephesians 3, verses 3 through 5, he says, How that by revelation he made known to me the mystery as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. So you see, what was once a mystery is, is no longer a mystery anymore. If something's a mystery, it's because we don't know it. And like I said at the beginning of our program today, I believe in our society today, there are a lot of people that marriage is still a mystery because they're not seeking to do it and accomplish it in God's way. 
John 3 and verse 29 says, The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. So we make the Lord happy when we say, I do, in other words. And once that union has taken place and we are part of that covenant, that's a word I mentioned earlier in the program. I didn't really expound on it, but you know, a covenant relationship is an agreement between two parties. And that, that, that's what a marriage is. It's a covenant. Uh, that's, we like to call them vows uh, that we often say. And it's not just ceremony, but it's promises that we're making to the person that we're committing our, our lifelong love to. And, um, you know, vows are usually till death do us part. And, uh, you know, I'll be faithful to you in sickness and, or, or, or you know, in, in good times and bad times. And, uh, you know, riches or poor uh, you know, that can be said in many different ways. But these are commitments that we make that no matter what, and no matter what the cost, I'm yours, and we're going to stick together. I wish people lived by their vows. Because when you make a vow with the Lord, well, you better keep it. One thing's for certain, the Lord keeps his vow. In verse 33, at the end of our reading today, let's, let's finish it up by saying, Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. He comes right back to the same thought once again in regard to what that submission is all about. So an encouragement for a woman to a man is find a woman, or excuse me, find a man that you can submit to. <laughs> find, find a man that you can respect. And you're going to find that in a godly man. I've had people come to me many times in the past and say, where can I find a, the right kind of man? Uh, and my standard answer is, uh, you know, be the right kind of woman, and the right kind of man will find you. If the wrong kind of man is seeking you out, what are the, what are the characteristics, what are the qualities that you are showing the wrong kind of man to show that you might be the person for him? Um, let's live for God. And when you show godliness, the godly will find you. I believe not only that through, obviously, what they see and what they're looking for in life, but I believe it's something that God will do in bringing the right people together as well. Um, I know I've experienced that. And so I often like to say, if it weren't for God in our lives, my wife never would have married a guy like me. <laughs> so I'm for, for that I'm thankful. Let me read one more passage. And then we'll close the lesson. Revelation 22, verse 17. Revelation says a lot about marriage, doesn't it? It says, The spirit and bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who desires to take the water of life. Some versions say freely. The ESV says without price. What's it going to cost you to have a great relationship in this life? Well... <laughs> You're going to find that the benefits outweigh the cost. Jesus has already paid the price for us. He wants to be in a covenant relationship with us. He wants us to be his bride. And so he's saying, come. And so let's go to him. How can I help you? Just send me an email, chriskramer11 at gmail.com. I'd love to talk to you about these things. And we'll continue our studies uh, through the book of Ephesians next time on Truth and Reason. I walk with the King, hallelujah, I walk with the King, praise His name, no longer I roam, 
Thank you.